Yeah, thank you for this class. Lord, it, it, uh, it breaks my heart that this is going to be our last morning devotional together. Uh, but uh, I'm excited for the ministry and the opportunities that they're going to have in these next few weeks. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would visit us this morning. Lord, as we dive into a little more of the Song of Solomon, I pray that you would open up our hearts. I pray that, um, that shame and fear would be bound in the name of Jesus, that it would not be able to operate in this room, that it would be removed from here from us, that any influence of the enemy would be, would be shut down in the name of Jesus right now. And Lord, I pray that your spirit would be louder than our flesh, that your spirit would, would speak of the love of God in our souls so loudly today that uh, it echoes for, for weeks and weeks, oh God, that it would just hang on us. Lord, I pray that you would impart something so strong, so real on the inside of us, that we would understand in a true, in a deep way, Lord, how wide and how high and how deep is the love of Christ. Lord, I'm asking you to move on us, enable us, give us strength through your spirit and our inner man to comprehend your love, to be able to, to understand something that goes beyond knowledge. Lord, you're the only one that can make this happen in us. And so we look to you this morning. I look to you. Don't allow my weak words and my weak understanding to stand in the way of the impartation of the divine kiss of God upon our hearts. This morning we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, we are going to go to chapter 4 of Song of Solomon. So if you have your Biblies. My son called was in my office, Aiden was in my office the other day, and was messing around with the phone, and apparently he got the voicemail of someone else in the office, just hit the right buttons. And he decided, instead of being embarrassed and hanging up, he said, hello, this is Niche Schneebly, and started talking about, yeah, anyway. I, I, when he told me later, I was like, who was it? He said, I don't know who it was. I was really so sad because be like, I would, that would be really, really funny. Like, Somebody, somebody's <laughs> going to check their messages and be like, what? <laughs> Someone here. I don't need a substitute yeah. teacher. <laughs> <laughs> just the fact That's that awesome. he pulled that, this is niche, neeply. I just, I, did it. You were proud. I just, I was completely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, I was, no, I wasn't mad at all. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yes. I either and actually today we're going to be doing a lot more with the New American Standard than the ESV. I love the ESV, but New American Standard. New American Standard is great. So if I if I can't have the, the only the only real difference. They're both very literal, and that's what I love about both of them. They're both very literal translations. 
the NASB tends to be a little <coughs> less poetic, a little less – the flow of the language isn't quite as nice. But that's really – scholarship-wise, they're about the, they're the same level of scholarship really. And, and, uh, NAS. What? NAS. NASB. The New American yeah. Standard Bible. So, and if you copy and paste right out of Bible Hub uh, with New American Standard, you can get in your notes the Strong's numbers and definitions without even having to go to the page. Bible Hub is a website. BibleHub.com or .org, I don't remember. It's my favorite place to go to study scripture. Lots of great commentaries, lots of great dictionaries, um, and uh, and it's all for free. And But my favorite thing about it is that there's two or three versions of the Bible that have built into the actual words themselves links to the Strong's Concordance so you can just hover over the word, like if you can actually see it, because when you paste it into, well, I use Evernote for all my notes, but when you paste it in to the, uh, like when I copy it right off the website and paste it into Evernote, I still have this option. I can just hover over the word and it will show me the, uh, the, the Strong's number and the definition, uh, which is so cool. Um, just makes studying the original language a thousand times easier. And, uh, I mean, I have like the, you know, I have logos, I have that, which is a very expensive Bible study program. And I had to get it for school. I, I wouldn't have bought it otherwise. And I don't like it as much as I like Bible Hub. Now, there's a lot more stuff in Logos, which is part of my problem with Logos, is there's way too much stuff to wade through. It's hard to really kind of like – my dad says that if the longer you use it, you know, you'll get some, some that are your favorites and then whatever. But I just don't. It's too much. It's just too much. So I will go there if I'm stuck on something and I'm not quite – you know, a lot of times if you read, a, if you read commentaries – They'll basically skip a whole scripture. They do. You know, it's like it, it'll just say the scripture and then not say anything about it and just go to the next one. And if I can't find anything in the commentaries that I usually use off Bible Hub or off of uh, eSword, then I will go to Logos and I will look at a few other commentaries that are there and see if it gives me anything that's not. But that's all I ever use it. Anyway, for basic general Bible study, Bible Hub works beautifully. And they should really, like, be paying me because I tell everybody about it. <laughs> I mean, I'm like a walking advertisement for Bible Hub. Of course, I've never paid them anything. but So, Song of Solomon, Chapter 4. Um, this, of all, of, of, each of the you know books that we've kind of gone through again this time, this chapter was the one I spent more time uh, in prayer with, wrestling with. Not because it's difficult, 
but because the stuff that it's the the things that the 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 lover says to the beloved in this chapter are shocking they are they're they're hard for my soul to hear and and so i i you know, there, I, I spent a long time as where as I'm walking through this chapter, just going, God, I don't believe this, and I want to. Not only do I want to believe it, I want to feel it. I want, I want this to be a reality of my soul that I hear the voice of God saying this over me. And we can just start right in the right the very first verse. How beautiful you are, my darling! How beautiful you are! Your eyes are like dove behind, doves behind your veil. Your hair is like a flock of goats that have descended from Mount Gilead. Now, I know everybody's like, isn't that funny? Because he called her hair a flock of goats. It was it was beautiful back then, okay? They were an yeah. agrarian culture. Just get over it, people. They used different metaphors yeah. than we did, okay? <laughs> different things that were striking and beautiful to them than they are to me. But hearing this... My whole life, when I think about my relationship with God and when I think about the way that I the way that I I feel like God feels about me the primary emotion that comes up is disappointment that that's that's that is the basic ground level feeling that I think God has about me and I don't think I'm alone in that I think most of us kind of live in this place where we feel like we have disappointed God and we continue to disappoint God and that's all we do. That God is just perpetually disappointed in us. And then we run into teachings like the depravity of man and some of these other things which are in scripture and which are very true and which I have talked about here in this class. And it just it just affirms that feeling in us again. See, God find God is mostly disappointed in me. He's mostly annoyed by me. He's mostly angry and upset with me. That's, that's, if I'm going to be honest, that is how I usually feel about how God feels about me. So whenever I come before him in prayer, whenever I come to him in worship, there's always this, <coughs> this, I'm, I kind of come in sideways, you know, like, um, like, like, Hey, it's me again. Don't kill me. You know, I mean, that's kind of, do you guys know what I'm talking about right now? I mean, do you, do you connect with this? Does this resonate with you? I hope it doesn't. I really do. I, I hope that there's people in this room that are going, no, I am fully emotionally confident of God's absolute passion for me, but I have never, I have never met a Christian that, that has, especially someone that's been in the faith a long time that feels that way at the basis of who they are. So, I mean, are you with me, guys? I mean, is this something that you feel? It might be depressing to say yes, but, you know, let's be honest together, okay? This is, this is where I usually begin. I thank God that's not where I stay, but it's where I usually begin. You know, I, I usually begin when I've been, you know, I prayed yesterday morning, but I haven't talked to him since then. And I'm coming to him, you know, in devotions or whatever in the morning or whenever. Most of the time, I'm approaching with a feeling of guilt, a feeling of shame, a feeling of 
you know, God, like God is looking down at me and saying, you again? You know, and every time I ask him for forgiveness, every time I ask him, I'm sorry, God, I screwed up again. I'm an idiot. You know, that God's going, I'm only forgiving you because I have to. That, that, that's, that's how most of us feel about God. That that's, that, that's, that's how he feels about us. Like I said, I hope that's not true of you, but is it? Yes or no? I mean, that's where we live, right? So when I read the first verse of this chapter, I, I almost want to close the book and say, no, I, I, no. The lover Jesus declaring over me how beautiful you are, my darling. What? No, I'm not. You got that there's something wrong with you. Maybe you, you know. Yeah, I don't, you know, is there such thing as divine beer goggles? I mean, I don't know. Um, nobody laughed at that. What's that? Up with that? You guys, are you awake this morning? Or, you know, what's, what is, is Jesus? I mean, how can he say this about me? Does he know anything about me? Is he really, he's just saying this to make me feel better about myself. When I look at my wife and I tell her, you know, that she's beautiful and that I, and I love her and that, you know, she always has the same reaction that I have to this. Is It's like, yeah, whatever. You're crazy. You're stupid. You don't know what you're talking about. You know? And I'm not, but I don't say that to her out of some kind of feeling of obligation. She's the most precious person in my life other than Christ, and I want her to know that, that that's how I feel about her. And she doesn't want to hear it. It's hard for her to hear it. And I think it's hard for any of us to hear it. We have this innate desire to, to be desirable and beautiful. It's one of those seven, uh, those seven longings of the human heart that we talked about a few weeks ago. We have a desire to be attractive and beautiful, both inwardly and outwardly, but no one actually feels like they are, or very few people. And some of you are going, I know some people that think they're beautiful. The truth is the people that put that on the most are the people that feel that the least. The most arrogant guy and the most vain girl, these are the ones who are the most insecure. I'm telling you the truth. It's real. If you actually got through all of their bluster and all of their, all of their big talk and all of their swagger, you would find someone who's really afraid that no one's ever going to like them. It's the truth. This is, we all live in this place of perpetual insecurity. That's why things like Genesis 1, or actually it's not Genesis 1, Genesis 3, where it says, and they were naked and unashamed, that just, it goes against our grain. Because here was a man and a woman who knew in the depths of who they are that they were accepted by the other completely without any need to hide in any way. That's pretty massive. It's something that we don't understand, something we don't get to. Because we live in this place, in this general reality of insecurity. But here is the lover saying over us, you are 
beautiful. It's confrontational. It rattles us a little bit. If we, if we actually hear the voice of Jesus saying over, over us, over you, <coughs> over you, you are beautiful. And not just that, but oh, how beautiful. I heard this guy uh, the other day. I don't know his name. He was on a panel discussion with uh, John Piper and a couple other guys. And so I, I was like, ooh, I want to listen to this. So I did. And, and they were talking about this, the reality of being satisfied in God as being the, the uh, most powerful way to be free from sin, which is the truth, by the way. Being satisfied in God is our most powerful war uh, weapon against sin. It just is. And they were talking about that, and he said, he said, they were talking about the verses, you know, in the Bible that kind of point this direction and lead us this direction. And, and he was saying, the, this guy was saying, my favorite word in the Bible is, oh. He said, read Romans 11.35. Oh, the depths, you know, this, this, this word, he said, that's not something that the translators put in there. That's in the Greek. This, oh, this, this, this exclamation of passion of, of something that goes beyond a word to describe it. That can only be described by a, by a guttural, you know, syllable. of just, oh, you know what I mean? That he said, he said, where is, oh, in the Christian experience today. And he's like, there's so many people that live without, a, without oh coming from their soul. And, and he, was, he said, I preached a whole like 10-week series on oh, the o's of the Bible. And I was thinking about that when I read this. And, and it's, oh, how beautiful you are. Is it possible that Jesus gazes upon you and me and it stirs him to, to, to utter a sound of pleasure? This idea is what this whole chapter is about. Most of this chapter is about the lover exclaiming about his passion for the beloved. That's why we're kind of ending our Song of Solomon study on this chapter. I would love to go on and continue. But this chapter, it's the middle of the book, and it is the turning point in their relationship where she goes from being timid and afraid and hiding to beginning to move towards confidence and love. It's this chapter is the key. These moments, these proclamations that he makes over her are the moments where she begins to go from a reluctant lover who, who's drawn by how gorgeous and amazing he is, but who is so insecure and so worried about her own Ability to, like, you know, I'm not in your league, Solomon. Okay, that's where she's standing. I don't know. I can't, uh, oh, you know, I. how could I be loved by a king? And she And she begins to leave that feeling behind right here at this moment in the journey. And it's because he begins to tell her how he actually feels about her and what she does to him. And my prayer this morning is that this will go beyond some kind of study of these 
words and whatever, and that the Holy Spirit will be able to break through the layers of fear and shame, the layers of accusation and guilt, the layers of all of the years of us building up our case against ourselves, and all of the revelations that we've had of our own brokenness, insecurity, and, and, and worthlessness, and all of the lies of the enemy that he's spoken over us, that God doesn't really love us, that God doesn't really want us. That God's, I, my prayer is that as we begin to go here, that the, that the voice of the lover would, would plow into our hearts this morning and begin a journey that's going to end with total confidence in his love. How beautiful you are. There's a couple things built into this. Beautiful. And what do you when you hear that word beautiful? What are what are some things that you think? And don't give me things that are beautiful. What what are you saying when you say something is beautiful? Pure, okay? What else? I think of somebody who's skinny and who has good complexion and who has blonde hair, eyes that aren't brown, eyes that are like a unique color. Okay. I'm just being honest. When I think of beautiful, that's the first thing that comes to my mind. Okay. I mean, that might make me sound really shallow, but... No, but you just described the total opposite of yourself. Brown hair, brown eyes. Are you aware of that? I love you. Today's for you. What would it mean to me and to you? Because <laughs> I'm the same way. When I think of attractive, I don't think of me. I think of a lot of things that aren't me. Oh, how loud is it up here? It's really loud. It's fine. How long? <laughs> Satan, I hate you. I realize this is totally irrelevant, but every time I see those shirts, I think it says Voldemort. It says, don't judge me, I'm just a volunteer. They're from Fine Arts, so that you get it. I always think it says, like, Voldemort. <laughs> I would wear a shirt. Don't judge me, I'm a Voldemort. <laughs> I've hidden my soul in objects all over the world. Ooh, I've never thought of it that way. That's pretty. That that just grabbed me a little bit. I've hidden my soul in objects all over the world. Like, oh, I hate it. I hate it, and I don't. I really don't want. To. Oh, it's right there. It's great when you have a concussion. The loudness. Go get in the classroom. I guess something. Something. All right, let's just continue. Until it happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Brandon. Something I think of is like 
when I call something beautiful. I want to keep looking. Like, it's not something, I don't want to turn away from it. I just want to keep looking at it. I want it to be there forever. For me, the beholding something, when I say something's beautiful, what I'm saying is that when I look at it, it gives me pleasure. There is that looking at it stirs something in me emotionally. That's, that's what I mean. Uh, we went, uh, Rachel and I took a, a weekend and went to Chicago, had a great time. We spent Saturday morning at... Or maybe it was Friday. Anyway, we spent one of the mornings, we spent three hours in the Art Institute in Chicago. And we're walking around looking at paintings by Seurat and Monet. And, and uh, man, Monet gets me every time. And I always know it's him. I don't even have to like, you just, you just walk up to the painting and it's just like, it just like arms reach out and grab you and just suck you into the painting. And it, it's, I don't know. I don't, I'm not an art person. I don't really, All I know is they were beautiful. And I couldn't stop looking at them. And, and there was this, there was a stirring in my uh, soul when I saw them. Something stirred inside of me where I was just like, oh. You know, and no matter, I would look at the other paintings and I would come back to the Monet's. You know, and, uh, and, my wife didn't really get it at all. She was just like, we're just here for you. I don't really. This isn't. She's like, yeah, it's pretty. You know, I'm just like, are you kidding me? Just what? This, this doesn't like. I deleted it off the recording, so we're good. Thank goodness. <laughs> Why not? Then you're going surprise. <laughs> Somebody's got, they got their headphones in. Yes, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of work. Just the middle of work. All right. So, Nick Tanner, we are studying the book Song of Solomon today. We're in chapter four, and uh, no, this is our our last time for the year. But uh, but maybe we'll. Who knows? Yes, we are going to have an end of the world party. At, and uh, yes, I'll bring the bugles for the seven trumpets. No, I just like the bugles better. We just eat the bugles. Okay. <laughs> it's just a big bowl of blood. Right. Oh, just with horses in it. I'll bring Kool-Aid. I'll bring Kool-Aid. What's up? All right. So we were talking about the word beautiful and what what does it what do you mean when you say something is beautiful? We had a couple different ideas about that. Anybody else have something they want to share? Beautiful. Because in this, Jesus is speaking over us and saying, you are beautiful. How beautiful you are. Then he says, your eyes are like doves. Now, this picture, I don't know if I shared this with you guys last time in the last chapter. I don't know. 
But this picture of your eyes being her eyes being like doves. Okay, this is doves don't have any muscles around their eyeballs. The only way they can can look in a different direction is to move their head, and their eyes don't move. And this picture is uh, of of the unmoving stare of the eyes of the lover of the beloved on the lover. So in other words, when he says your eyes are like doves, what he means is that she is fixed. Her gaze, her, her attention is absolutely centered on him. So when you hear someone say that, I want, I, I want dove's eyes, like Missy Edwards wrote a song about it. I want dove's eyes. Okay. Um, that's what she's talking about. I want a gaze that is fixed on Christ, that he is the center of my attention and he has all of my attention and my affection. That's what he means. And he says, you're beautiful. Your eyes are like doves. Hear that. One of the things that, that causes Jesus to exclaim with pleasure at us is the fact that we turn our attention towards him. Which shouldn't be, well, you know, as we've had the discussion about the worth of God's glory as being the highest, it shouldn't surprise us when God is excited about the fact that we are setting our gaze upon his glory. You know, that's something that he, you know, the picture that I have of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit pre-creation and even, you know, still, is this picture of God eyeball to eyeball with God, just staring at one another. I mean, that that's just what they are doing. And this fellowship, this, this uh, love beyond anything we could possibly imagine, just, just exploding between, between them, um, which we call the Holy Spirit. That's just, uh, I'm just going to get, I'm going to get all messed up again. Um, but this, this, this absolute fiery, adoration that they have for each other when that is awakened in us we begin to turn our attention towards christ towards the father the lord is saying oh i see i see my son in you jesus is saying i see my father in you your your eyes are set on me your passion is being being awakened towards me i love that and he says that's beautiful now He's going to go uh, in the next in the next verse all the way through verse five. He he begins to describe and he use met, uses metaphor to describe the beauty of the bride. Um, that we read it and we're like, what? You know, if somebody said to me, if you know, if I ever told my wife that her neck was like the Tower of David, I don't think she would be all that excited about it. Um, but okay. <laughs> You know, but that, but please remember that this particular, uh, that, that all of these metaphors are coming from another culture. And so this, this, these, these words would have been absolutely just, they would have, you know, any woman, a man saying this to his bride, she would have just melted at his feet because what he is saying is this, and, and, I've heard people take these different things and give them symbolic meanings. We're not going to do that today. We don't have time. And besides, I don't know that I, that I there even is symbolic meaning to these. I, the point is this. He knows every inch of her. 
and he adores every inch of her. And he thinks about every part of who she is. He is so passionately in love with her that he knows her completely and he adores everything about her. That's, that's what's being said here. More than just these metaphors, which we'll, I'll read them. There's some of them kind of are kind of funny. Um, the point is this. He knows her completely and he enjoys her completely. We begin to understand that Jesus knows us completely. He knows every word that we've ever said, every thought that has ever passed over our brains. He knows every feeling that we've ever felt. He knows everything we've ever done. He knows every minute of every day of every year of our lives intimately. He was there. He saw it. No matter what kind of front we were able to put up and convince everybody else that we were, you know, something special or good or whatever, Jesus saw what was really going on in the inside of us. He knows it. And at the end of that kind of absolute knowledge of us, he's still able to say, you are beautiful. Most of us would be utterly embarrassed if some, you know, if all of a sudden a screen popped up on the wall and every thought we ever thought just flashed across the screen for everyone to see. Most of us would be like, please don't look, right? We it just be, right? I mean, we would. Okay, because, you know, who knows it's going to go on up there and just, you know, there's stuff there. There's stuff that flashes across our minds that we're like, oh, my God, where did that come from? Right. I mean, just, you know, you're just like, I don't, ooh, you know, and that just that's that's who we are. But Jesus sees all those thoughts. He's intimately acquainted with all of them. Not only that, he knows where they came from. He knows what of them actually, you know, that all of those things are coming from us. We are the fountainhead of those thoughts. So they're coming from somewhere. And Jesus knows. Not only does he see the thoughts, but he sees where they come from. He sees how far we've come and how far we have left to go. He, he sees all of it. And at the end of that kind of scrutiny, he says, I love you. You are beautiful. Your teeth are like a flock of newly shorn ewes which have come up from their washing. In other words, they're white. That's what he's saying. All which bear twins, and not one among them has lost her young. In other words, you're not missing any teeth. Now, in a day when there weren't dentists, that's a pretty big deal, right? She's got all her teeth. Woo! You know? I mean, that was, that was, that, that was pretty awesome. It's not going to be easy to find back in those days. Even those beautiful women probably had a tooth or two missing. You know, and they would smile and be like, oh, I can see your brain. Um, you know, just. Yeah. That's a problem. Well, you know what I mean. It's just that feeling. It's just that feeling like all of a sudden, you know, the eyes are the windows to the soul, but your missing tooth is a window to so much more. Um, so he's saying that she has all of her teeth and that was pretty sexy back in the day. Not one among them has lost their young. Your lips are like a scarlet thread, and your mouth is lovely. Your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. <laughs> okay. 
<laughs> Woo! Pomegranate, look at those temples. It's a, it's a totally different... I remember going to Washington, D.C., and, and they lead us into the room that used to have Congress in it, and they were showing us these, um, you know, the the balconies where, like, the wives of the senators and whatever would would sit in. And they said they had to cover the... Uh, front of those balconies because they just had like a, a banister and then like, you know, uh, posts. And because you could see the ladies' ankles from there and it was incredibly distracting to the men in in Congress. Okay, now we don't think of a woman's ankle as being, you know, like, oh, I can see her ankle. You know, we're just, you know, you brazen hussy. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> but but now, so different things different things have been considered attractive. I remember once when I was in when I was in high school, we had to do this. Uh, we had to do a presentation on on uh, current events, and each and so they broke us into teams. We had to do presentations on current events, and so my friends and I decided to create a news program. And uh, one of the one of the news programs, uh, and but it had to have real news clippings in it. But we decided to make it stupid and and funny. And uh, and one of the things that we we did was we had uh, there was this clipping about a uh, an artist in the Arab world that was showing pictures of women without their veils and and whatever. And there was and and there was this big uproar about it. And so on our news program that we made, we had the, the newscaster was like, we're going to show you some of these pictures. You may want to usher the children out of the room because they are pretty, you know, sensual. And then it was like a woman's ankle like this. And, and the thing is, the person we had, the person we had uh, like posed for these pictures was a guy. And so it, and, and it was like so it was like this hairy leg with a sock mark on it and like and then and like pictures of a woman's face like right here that was like all suggestive or whatever and when it cut back to the newscaster he's like flipping through the pictures going oh my gosh oh uh you know. <laughs> but uh <clears throat> so please understand different things were considered as you know hot okay back then than we do now for instance Women who had a little more weight on their bones were considered extremely desirable. They would not have appreciated a skinny woman back in the day. They just wouldn't have. And, and there's a whole bunch of reasons. Also, they would the the tanner you were, the uglier you were. I back don't want then. to know what just happened. Over <laughs> I don't need to. Right okay. That. Well, I heard I heard <laughs> once that I heard once I don't know what that. Who was it? I think it was Rosie O'Donnell went to some Latin American country and, and all these men were hitting on her. And she had like a supermodel friend who was just like – who was like they weren't saying anything to her. And so she finally just asked one of the guys, do you not see my friend sitting over here? I mean she's you know, utterly gorgeous and you're hitting on me. And he goes, bones are for the dog. Meat is for the man. <laughs> Which I, I think is awesome. But anyway. <laughs> so, yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, Rosie, there's a Rosie O'Donnell quote in there. That's kind of 
scary, <laughs> isn't it? Road to the I don't know. It was some. It was in Central America or in someplace. Central America. We went to Jamaica when we were kids. Everyone thought that we were rich because you know we're not like the skinniest girls ever. Right. And they all thought that the skinny, why, she poor over there. You read my sister, Melissa, who's like super skinny and like really gorgeous. They were just like, they were like, she's, she's poor. That's your sister. Why is she so much poorer than you? Because <laughs> they don't have any money for food. So they think anyone who's rich, like, is like, you have to be rich to be bigger. Well, it's still that way in the Philippines too. When we yeah. went, when I was there, the, the, they go to vacation – when they go on vacation, they go up to the mountains because it's cold and usually cloudy up there so they won't get a tan. They want to be white, as white as they can be, which to us is like, no. <laughs> I, want to be, I want to be tan and thin and the rest of the world is like, no, you know, white and chubby. That's what's hot. Okay, so just understand, which means I am a – Freaking supermodel. Um, <laughs> so, okay, your temples are like a slice of pomegranate behind your veil. Your neck is like the Tower of David, built with rows of stones on which are hung a thousand shields, all the round shields of the mighty men. I don't, I, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Okay, this, your breasts are like two fawns, twin fawns of a gazelle which feed among the lilies. Okay, let's keep moving. That was it. I remember one time, the very first youth, the very first youth thing I ever went, I ever went to, uh, they asked my dad to come and preach at this, at this youth thing. And he started, he actually was teaching on a Song of Solomon. And my youth pastor set, was sitting in the back of the room, and he goes, "What's this about your breasts or twin fawns?" And my dad took a took a Nerf football and just hit him with it from across the room. <laughs> so, hear this. The point is that he knows every part of her. He's familiar with everything about her, and he enjoys every part of her. If we have any confidence about how God feels about us at all, we only have confidence about like the five minutes in church where we were actually paying attention or the three, the 30 seconds in the worship service where we actually worshiped. You know, there are parts of us and moments of our lives that we don't have any problem thinking, God, God might have been okay with that. You know, when I was on that mission trip and I was loving on that little kid or when I was crying at the altar. I mean, God kind of appreciates that. But to think that God looks at the totality of our lives and all of who we are, he's familiar with every part of us, and he says, you are beautiful. That is really difficult for us to grasp. That is really hard. To actually believe, it, it's even harder to feel it. And again, I am not interested in just a head knowledge of this stuff. I want to know it, you know, down here. I want to have it in the center of my being. I want to wake up in the morning and have my first thought be, he's delighted with me. He enjoys me. I want to live in that place. 
I'm going to walk through my day and base my understanding of myself on his opinion of me, not on any idiot's opinion of me. The God who created all things, wise beyond wise, beautiful beyond beautiful, glorious beyond glorious, bigger than the universe, which seems infinite to us, puny mankind. This one looks at me and says, you are beautiful. What does that person have to say about it? You follow? I want to get my eyes off of what the what man thinks of me, and I want to live in the place of an understanding of God's love for me. I want to dwell there. I want to sit under the outpouring of his passion for me. And I, and I, and I want that to be my existence. And not just part of me, but all of me. Verse 6, until the cool of the day, when the shadows flee away, I will go my way to the mountain of myrrh and to the hill of frankincense. What he is saying there is, I'm just going to spend the rest of the day thinking about you. Till it's time for me to go home, go home and go to bed and dream about you, I'm just going to spend the rest of the day thinking about you. You know that God thinks about you? Sometimes I think we feel like we have to, like, wave him down and get his attention. As You know, he's got this 30-foot view, like we have to build a signal fire and be like, God, I'm over here! No, that's not, that's not it. He spends time thinking about me. And that time is not time that hurts him. That's time that he enjoys. He enjoys us. He spends time thinking about us. He cherishes the time that we spend together. The mountain of myrrh are our places of difficulty. It's Myrrh was a bitter it smelled beautiful, but it was a it was a, a bitter thing, and it was it it had to do with burial and death. In our difficult times, he enjoys us in our difficulty. And frankincense was was incense that was offered before the Lord. He enjoys us in our times of rejoicing, in our times of worship and prayer, and when we're doing good. He loves us when we're when we're walking through difficulty. And he loves us when we're getting things right. He, he is spending time thinking about us no matter where we are in our journey. How many times have you screwed up royally and, and like not wanted to go talk to God at all? You have just, I remember when I was a kid, and I'm sure I probably have told you this story before, but I had been walking in real victory in a specific area of my life. And I honestly don't even remember what it was. I just remember that I had been there. I had gone for a long time without dealing with a certain issue, and I was pretty excited about that. And then, bam, I just 
I, I went back and just stepped in it with both feet. And so I was so embarrassed and so felt so guilty and was so that I spent, you know, like a day and a half or two days, maybe even three days. I don't remember just avoiding God. I wouldn't talk to him. I wouldn't open the Bible. I wouldn't, I didn't really worship. I was so like wrapped up in guilt and shame that I didn't want to be anywhere near him. And finally, I just couldn't stand it anymore. And I, and I went into the Lord and said, I'm sorry. You know, just, I, I did kind of the prodigal son kind of moment. I've sinned against you. And, you know, and, and, you know, just make me a servant in your house. I don't care. I'll, I'll feed your pigs like I did before. And the Holy Spirit came crashing into my room. And, and all I heard from the Lord was, why did you wait so long? There was nothing of, that's right, grovel. You little pig, you horrible little brat. I bled for you and you spit on me. No, that, that, didn't, that didn't happen. That's what I expected. That's what I probably deserved. But what I got was Jesus crashing through all of my shame and all of my guilt, wrapping his arms around me and saying, why did you keep yourself from me for the last couple of days? I have missed you so much. And I was just like, What? I was completely ruined. It was just, uh, I don't know. You know, he was, he just came rushing in to grab hold of me. The minute, the moment I turned my attention back towards him, boom, he was there in a powerful way. And it's because Jesus, it is his good pleasure to forgive us our sins. We hate that. We don't believe it. We don't, we don't believe it. We think God begrudgingly and full of spitefulness and probably with some sarcasm is like, oh, sure, you're forgiven, right? I mean, isn't that how we think? When we finally come to God and we repent, don't we feel like God's like, God's like, all right, but that's been 837 times now and this is getting ridiculous, right? I mean, isn't that how you feel? Because isn't that what your parents did, right? I mean, that's what my parents always did. I will let you live this time. But next time I'm going to kill you. You know, next time I'm putting your head in the oven and I'm turning it on high. You know, I, no, my parents never said that to me. It's, but that's what I always felt, you know, next time, you know, that's, that's just, that's, that's what I felt like they were, you know, saying, you know, just what? Oh yeah. The ear pinch thing. That was, oh yeah. I, to this day, I have no feeling in the tops of my ears. Um, no. Does it really hurt that bad? Come here, you want to see? What? I don't got His mom is the choir director, right? She teaches at his house. And if you talk to her, like his, yeah, we have at his house studios here. And they don't know what that is. She doesn't care who you are. If you backsass her, she will grab you. She has this like pinch thing at the top of the ear. You'll never talk back again. She was a a music teacher uh, for, you know, for high school at the school that I went to when I was a, it was a Christian school and I went to when I was a little kid. And I remember one of the football players kind of being like, you know, a little sassy. She was just like, excuse me. And just grabbed him. She's not a big lady. Mm -hmm. 
just grabbed him by the ear and he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Yeah, just, you know, she's, she's awesome. I love her. All right. So, in both our good times and our bad times, he adores us and we bring him joy. This issue that God does not just love us. Every, it's kind of easy for me to say, oh yeah, God loves me. It's like saying, oh yeah, my mom loves me. She has to, right? I mean, you know, that's kind of like, you take, you take the love of certain people a little for granted because they kind of have to love you. Well, yeah, you have to love me, right? I mean, it's like, uh, you're not allowed to not love me. There are people in my life that that's how kind of how I feel about it. And, and that's how I've always kind of felt about God. Like, well, yeah, I mean, of course, he loves me. But does he, he doesn't enjoy me. No, he does. He does. He actually takes pleasure in me. He delights in me. He enjoys me. That, that is something I have never been able to really honestly feel, except for little flashes here and there. And that's why I said this chapter for me, I spent a lot of time just reading these phrases and then just putting it down and going, God, I don't feel this right now. I want, I want heart knowledge of this. I want to feel the smile of God over my life. You know, there are people, and maybe you guys, I don't know, maybe you guys think this about me, but there are people that I look at, I look at like my dad and I'm like, of course he knows that God smiles over him. You know, look at the guy. 30 plus years of ministry, he's, you know, built this, you know, big church and God's used him to do so many things or whatever. I'm telling you, he struggles with this too. You think about Billy Graham or somebody like that, somebody crazy, Reinhard Bonnke, you know, you know, you think, you think, yeah, these guys, you know, they know that God adores them and enjoys them. I'm telling you right now, that's a, it's a struggle for them. I'm asking for revelation. I'm asking for real deep heart knowledge about this. God, I want to feel this. I want to know it. I want to feel the pleasure of God over my heart. That's why I want that's why I wanted to go to this book. That's why I wanted us to spend time here because the only way to fight the lies that are planted in our hearts is by uprooting them and planting the truth putting the word of God in our souls, that's how we change what we believe. And it doesn't usually happen fast, although the Lord has done that for me, where I totally didn't believe something, and then two minutes later, I totally believed it, and I've never, ever had a problem with believing it since then. That's what God did with my view of eschatology. I mean, honestly, he changed my view before I found, before I went and studied it in Scripture. I had a very solid view one way for a long, long time. And then I went to this conference. They weren't even preaching on end times. I'm sitting in the conference and the Lord says, I want you to go back and I want you to study the end times again because there's something I want to show you. And in that moment, I mean, it was just like somebody flipped a switch in my heart and I began to think a different way. And then he showed it to me in scripture. I don't know how that works, but it did. And that's the kind of, that's what I want for this, Lord. 
for me and for all of you. I want the Lord to step into the midst of our souls. I want him to uproot the lies of shame and fear and guilt, and I want him to burn them in the fire of the Holy Spirit, and I want him to plant deep the truth that God loves you, that God enjoys you. You are the delight of his heart. You are the apple of his eye. He is passionately in love with you. He does not regret making you. He does not regret saving you. He does not regret forgiving you. He is not angry with you. I want all of us to believe that. I want us to live in that place. Because we are under the cross, he is not angry with us anymore. If you haven't been blown away by anything he said yet, you'll be blown away by this. You are altogether beautiful, my darling. There is no blemish in you. I read that statement and say, that's just not true. I got lots of blemishes. You need to look again. Get out your magnifying glass, God, because you're a long way away. You need to you need to figure this out. I am messed up. He's saying, there's no blemish in you. There's not one flaw. How in the world can he say that? How can he honestly look at me and say, there's no flaw in you. There's no blemish. The only way he can say that is because he sees my spirit, which is perfect now. It's been perfected by Christ. And he sees my future. I'm on a journey, and he sees the end from the beginning. My spirit right now your spirit, my spirit, all of our spirits, we have been given the righteousness of Christ. We are, right now, present tense, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's what you are. That's the truth. This is scripture I'm quoting to you. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's who you are. Joint heirs with Christ. <coughs> there is the reality of actual perfection in you. It's there. And not only is it in you, but it is also the destiny of all of you, of the fullness of who you are. Soon, sooner than you think, within the blink of an eye, we will be perfect. And in the eyes of God, we have upon us the perfection of Christ. You are as holy as Jesus. Right now. 
That's true. God doesn't have a list of sins that you've committed in the last three days. He doesn't have one. He doesn't have it. He doesn't remember any sin that's in you. Everything that you've ever done and everything you ever will do has already been nailed to the cross and killed with Jesus. Everything. So all of your sin, everything that stood between you and God has already been obliterated. It's done. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. I'm going to go read it. Romans chapter 8. Come on now. Somebody get excited. Hallelujah. That is verse 1. What are they doing bringing up the new international version? The not inspired version? No. That's the message. <laughs> All right, Romans 8.1. Listen to this in, in the God-inspired English Standard Version. Listen. He's talking about you. There is therefore now, not yesterday, not tomorrow, now, now, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Always pay attention to the tense. Has, past tense, set you free. Not will set you free. We all kind of think, well, when I get to heaven. No. Now. Has, past tense, set you free from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled. That is completely fulfilled. Where? In us. This is the only reason Jesus can look at us and say, there's no flaw in you. Because in a very real sense, that is true. The church talks way too much, way too much about our battle with sin. Is there a process that we're going through that is making us more like Christ every day? Yes. Is the battle in our soul? Is it over? No. But is it already won? Yes. There is a very real thing that Jesus can point to and say, no, there's no flaw in you, Brandon. And you want to argue with him, don't. I feel like the movies where, you know, the guy just wants to kiss the girl and she just keeps telling him all the but we can't, and there isn't, and then he's just like, shut up. 
you know, hush, I will stop thy mouth. What's that from? What's it from? I don't remember. Anyway, that's... <laughs> oh, no, I think I know. It's from Shakespeare, but that's okay. Never mind. <laughs> and then he kisses her. Hush, I will stop thy mouth. And it's from the Twelfth Night. No, it's from the Twelfth Night. Yes. Trust me. They may have done it in the Tame of the Shrew also, but... We only have five minutes, but there is there's something else we have to read here. Okay, verse 8. Come with me from Lebanon, my bride. May you come with me from Lebanon. Journey down from the summit of Amana, from the summit of Sinir and Hermon, from the dens of lions, from the mountains of leopards. I could explain to you where those places are. Basically, the idea is he wants her with him, and he doesn't care where she's coming from. That's important. Verse 9. Are you ready? You have made my heart beat faster. My sister, my bride, you have made my heart beat faster with one single glance of your eyes. We stir the emotions of the uncreated God with one glance of our eyes. One glance of our soul at him and it sends him all aflutter. What? What? You guys have been there, right? You've been in that place of like super crush where all that person has to do is just look at you and like everything inside of you just goes, right? Come on, you've been there. Hasn't everybody been there at least once where, you know, even if it's somebody like on a movie screen or a TV screen, okay, you know, and, and you know, I remember my wife convinced me to go see Twilight New Moon in the theater, <laughs> okay, and, and I know. And and we're sitting in front of this whole line of like teeny boppers, oh and Taylor Lautner takes his shirt off, and the whole <laughs> row behind us is like, "Oh my god!" They all just like, "Oh, is it just possible to be right there?" It was that, that Rachel and I are just sitting there, just like. <laughs> Although I have to say, okay, let's go one. I went uh, one of the first. Things one of the first dates that Rachel and I went on after we got married was to see the movie Ocean's Eleven. Have you ever seen that yes. film? Okay, great movie, right? And we, we're sitting there watching it, and there's a scene where George Clooney and Brad Pitt are there, and they're looking over the 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 uh, 
you know, the, the plans to the safe that they're going to break into. And at the end of that scene, they're talking a little bit and then they get in this elevator to go downstairs. And my brand new bride, my brand new <laughs> wife sitting next to me just goes, to be in that elevator. <laughs> and I just looked at her and said, you are not allowed to say that to me. You are not allowed. I just married you a month ago. You are not allowed to say that with my presence. I don't care if you think it, but don't say it. She's like, I'm just being honest with you. I was just like, well, fine. Go ahead. Go find them. Because, you know, apparently I'm nothing. Never said that about me in an elevator. I was too, I was, and besides, I don't think Julia Roberts is all that beautiful. So I was just like, you know, I was like, I can't, I can't. She goes, oh, please, like, there's nobody you think that way about. I said, even if there was, and I can't think of anybody off the top of my head, I wouldn't say it to you. <laughs> Couldn't believe it. Yes. To hear the voice of God. This is God. You know, Genesis 1, God. Let there be like God, okay? This is him. And he, Jesus, Jesus says to, to me and to you, to me. I know me. I shouldn't make anybody's heart beat faster. And he says to me, when you look at me, it affects me. It does something to me changes me. That's a mystery. I don't understand it. But here's Jesus saying, Josh, when you say to me, one thing I ask, and this alone will I seek to dwell in the house of the Lord and gaze upon his beauty. When you say that to me, something happens inside. It sh shifts. The God of the universe is moved by the attention of my heart towards his. The God of the universe is moved by your attention towards him. How many times does prayer feel mechanical and empty and weak? How many times? I'm telling you, you make his heart beat faster. Just whisper his name. You know, we're going up to prayer in a half hour or so. When we sit there and our attention gets turned towards him, Something happens in the heart of God. Something moves on the inside of him. His heart beats faster. He's affected. And he's affected in a way that, is, that he didn't control. You know, there are, there's people, when you're attracted to a person... It affects you in a way in ways that surprise you, ways you don't see coming. Sometimes you don't want it to affect you, but it still does. God is saying, 
the way that you move me is very similar to that. In fact, that is probably why he put the capacity inside of us to be affected that way. Well, so that we would understand when he says, you make my heart beat faster, we would understand what that means. That when we come into his presence, he is shifted, he is affected, he is moved. He wanted us to get it. That we are not in, inconsequential to him. That it, it, he doesn't just, you know, we aren't second tier we aren't, you know, we're, we're not, we move his heart. Honestly, if we can take, just put our hands around this verse and get it for real, it will radically change your life in Christ. Radically change who you are. It'll radically change your prayer life. It'll radically change your worship. It'll radically change the way that you spend your time, your money, and your energy. It will shift you. When you understand that you move the heart of God, that will change everything for you. It'll change the way you read Scripture. There's another verse. It's in chapter 6. And then we'll be done. Chapter 6, verse 5. It's a very similar, very similar kind of uh, statement from God. Turn your eyes from me where they overwhelm me. I overwhelm him? It's easy for me to think about being overwhelmed by God because he's bigger than the universe. Of course I'm going to be overwhelmed by him, but I, What? I overwhelm him? There's another place here where he says, your love is intoxicating to me. Yeah, it's chapter 7, verse 9. 
Your mouth is like the best wine. Excuse me? Verse 6, how beautiful and pleasant you are, O beloved, with all your delights. And then in verse 9, he says, your mouth is like the best wine. We're just going to stop. We're out of time. Yeah, I want to pray. Holy Spirit, come. Would you awaken our hearts today? Would you awaken our hearts this morning, right now, even, even as we sit here? Would you let these realities burn in us? I want to know, I want this reality that Your love for me is so great that I affect you. I stir you. My love back for you moves your heart. My words, my song, my gaze, my prayers. Lord, they don't just fly off into nothingness. You hear, and they move you. They affect you. Lord, I want to believe this. I want this reality to be planted in my heart and to uproot all the accusation of the enemy against me and against you. And Lord, for my friends in this room, I pray right now in the name of Jesus that you would explode revelation knowledge in their hearts and in their minds, that you would change their emotions that you would change their thought patterns, that you would plant this word into their hearts in such a way that all of the lies and all of the falsehood 
and all the things that Satan has said and all the things that other foolish humans have said and all the things that their own flesh has told them over the years that it would be shattered by the truth of your love for them that you are moved by their love, that you are shifted by their passion for you, that you are affected by the by by just their weak gaze upon you. Lord, even just 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 a glance when all they can do and all the energy they have when all that they have inside of them is just just to be able to just glance your direction, that it shakes you up, that it stirs you, that it moves you on the inside, that it is true what your word says, that we will seek you, we will find you. Or that when our hearts are turned towards you, that you will not deny us. Your word says that a, a broken heart and a contrite spirit you will not despise you will not you will not look at our hearts that are just reaching out in need towards you and 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 not care about that or that every tear that we cry is precious to you your word says that you have kept them in a bottle that every groan of our heart reaches you and moves you You adore us. You enjoy us. Lord, I pray that Impact Masters Commission would be the place where people learn how to feel the smile of God over their life. That they would hear the, the delightful laughter and joy of the Father over their beloved, his beloved sons and daughters. Come, Holy Spirit, and do what I cannot do. Awaken love. Your word tells us we loved you because you first loved us. Come and awaken an understanding of passionate love that will cause our souls to love you far more than we ever have. Fire of God fall in this room. 